In this episode, I chat to my very dear friend and colleague, Mel Mitchell from the Sunday Agency, about her very busy career and her struggles to fall pregnant after two and a half years of trying. Welcome to Allergy Proof, the podcast dedicated to helping hardworking women with health issues get through life. Hey, I'm your host, Ashley Templer, and I have more allergies and intolerances than you can count on one hand. I'm that person that BYO snacks to parties. I'm also that person who spent thousands of dollars trying to get to the bottom of my symptoms. From running my own social media agency, Pep Creative, and skincare brand, Yours Only, I know a thing or two about navigating a very busy schedule with ongoing health issues. Join me as I give you my tips, interview your fave biz women and health specialists to help you solve and manage your autoimmune conditions or allergies. Want to hear more about my story? Head to yoursonly.co forward slash about where you can also pick up some very allergy-friendly products. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Allergy Proof. I want to come in just quickly and just mention that my lips are fixed and I'm going to do a podcast on it next week, but they're looking very nice and they're not cracked, which it'll make a lot more sense if you listen to episode 14. But today's guest is someone who I love very dearly. Her name is Melanie Mitchell, and she is the founder of The Sunday Agency, who is a creative slash branding agency, who is also the sister agency to my agency, Pep Creative, and I think I just said agency too many times, but she is also the founder of The Citrus Club, which is a restaurant located in Yapoon in Queensland, which is where she lives, and she is a genius when it comes to all things branding and advertising, and she was also the creative brain behind the Yours Only brand. So we've always wandered over our very similar health journeys because she was also diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease and she's just been on a very long health journey, very similar to me. We have very similar intolerances and gut issues and she's just been trying to get her system into a healthy place. And for the last two and a half years, her and her fiance Reese have been trying to fall pregnant and I've just not had any luck. And We always hear the stories of women who really struggled, but then finally fell pregnant, but we don't really hear about the people who are still on their journey. So this is a little raw, but I thought it would just be really nice for people who might be going through the similar thing or just needs to understand that they're not alone. So yes, as I said, it's a little raw, but I hope it helps. And if you know anyone going through a similar situation, I would love it if you could send it their way. Enjoy. Hello, Mel. How are you? Hi, Ash. I'm good, thank you. It's so funny. For people who don't know, Mel and I actually work together all the time. She is the sister agency to Pep Creative. So Mel and I have been working together for over three years now. Yeah. Yeah. Over three years. Yep. Which is so crazy. Um, But Mel actually lives in the sunny state of Queensland, very far away from my not now lockdown Melbourne. But I haven't seen you since... When? When you came down and stayed in the hotel? July last year before no. yeah, before I opened the restaurant. Yeah. That's so crazy. I know. Um, well, Mel has been very nice in offering, telling us a very, I would say, private and kind of big story that she's got to talk about her fertility journey. But I thought maybe you could just tell me how you are. I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, at the moment I'm doing pretty well. That's good. And it's probably hot. You have the aircon on and I have the heater on. Yeah, I know. Opposite. <laughs> um, well, do you want to tell people a little bit who you are first before I dive into everything? Yeah, sure. Do you want me to start at 
what I'm doing at the moment or? Give me an elevator pitch. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I have two businesses. One is a creative agency called the Sunday Agency and we do branding for stuff you eat and drink. And I also own a restaurant um, in, on the Capricorn Coast, which was where I live at the moment. Um, so life is pretty busy between those two businesses. Um and yeah, I've been living up here for three years. So I moved from Sydney, yeah, almost three years ago, which is crazy. And I was in London for five years before that. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of what we'll talk about today and um, I guess the reason I moved into like a more regional beach town um, is a lot to do with my health as well. So yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's a good little pitch. Yeah. Um, and also, side note, Mel is the genius behind the Yours Only branding, people that don't know that, um, and did a fab job. Anyway, so I always like to start by asking people what they were like growing up because I find that it kind of teams into their health journey as they get older. So I would love to hear about what little Mel was like. Yes, I love this question and I love it when you ask everyone on the podcast. It's so interesting to see and you can totally see how it fits into yeah where they're at now. Um, for me, I have always been like a really high achiever. So when I was a kid, um, lots of reading. I read like every Sweet Valley and Babysitter's book. Um, oh, didn't we all? <laughs> I know. A lot of creativity. Like I loved making things and painting and drawing. Um, my mum was a single mum. So um, I had like a baby brother and it was just kind of just the three of us. And we actually lived in housing commission in Brisbane until I was about seven. So it's crazy to think of that now and yeah. what life looked like then. Um, and mum was always super creative as well. So she was like, she would come into school and do like pottery with the class and stuff like that. So she was like always really encouraging of that. Um, when I was 11, I actually moved up to the Capricorn coast, um, which is where I am now. Um, it seemed like a huge move at the time. It was like an eight hour drive North. Um, but we yeah. actually moved to the town that we would go on holidays to. So it was like a really, like a dream that mum had. And, um, we came up here and this is, yeah, where I did high school. So high school, the high achieving continued, um, I was vice school captain and I was junior mayor of the town at the time, which is hilarious. Stop. I did not know this about you. How do you, how old are you when you're the junior mayor? Grade 12, so 17. And it was like elected by the youth council. Um, and yeah, we would go into council chambers and have meetings and it was like all the high schools in the area. So yeah, I was the, the youth mayor, um, which is funny now when I see people from council and yeah, this this many They're years still on. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, they are. Um, and I also did all of the creative subjects, so drama, film and television, um, art, um, and, yeah, just, like, super driven to get the OP score, which is it's different in each state and it's probably changed now, but it's the, the number or the grade you need to get into uni. So I really wanted my first preference. And I think that I probably started stressing about that when I was 14 years old. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of gives some perspective on <laughs> 
my personality, yeah. I think. Yeah, 100%. I love that <laughs> you were like that when you were 14. It's funny you say that because I actually found the uni course that I did when I was 14. And so the whole of high school, I was like, I have to just do this, do all of these classes to get to that course. Yes. Did you get the OP you wanted? Yeah, I did. I did. Oh, good. Which was lucky. So I got my first preference. So then what did you study at uni? Um, I studied a Bachelor of Business with a major in advertising. Um, yeah. So I, I did decide that when I was 14. I knew that I wanted to go to QUT in Brisbane, that I wanted to study um, advertising. I think the bit that I wasn't sure of is you can't just do a major in advertising. So you have to do like business or arts or something and then major in advertising. And I did business, which I, I really didn't enjoy that part of it. <laughs> but um, I think once I got to my second year, I realized, oh, I probably should have done arts or film or production or something with the advertising added. Um, but in saying that, the business part did set me up to understand lots of things that I probably yeah, didn't, for sure. I didn't do that. So, yeah. And all the things that you're doing now. So you have the Sunday Agency, which is recently rebranded, and you have Citrus. Do you, like, talk about, like, what help you have with those businesses? Yeah. So, um, so I have the agency by myself, um, and I started that five years ago. Um, it started as a consulting business and then kind of just evolved into an agency. Um, I reconnected with Casey, who I had known for probably like 10, 11 years, um, and then she started working with us, um, and she's still with us, and she's amazing. She's just like we do everything together. Um and then I've also got a coordinator. I obviously work with you and Elise from mm-hmm. Bossy all the time. And I think that's really unique because we work together just like constantly. We talk about projects that even if we're not working on them together. So we're like a mini team. Um, and then in terms of the restaurant, so I opened that with my fiance, Reese. Um, so he had already, he made a big move from Melbourne um, to open a coffee shop, which he had never done. Um, so he'd already had that for two years. So the restaurant was like an opportunity that made sense in terms of him moving into that space. Um, so we've got a team of 17 people at the restaurant, which I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a lot of... so many. Yeah, it's a lot of staff. Um, So often if I'm not online here, I'm sorting something out there. Um, Mm -hmm. The first six months of that was like really tricky. I was working both businesses full time, um, just squeezing in the hours. Now I don't work in the business. Like the Citrus team is like perfection at the moment. Reese runs it all and I can just work on the business, which for me is new menus, new cocktails, branding. The fun stuff. Yeah, and that's always what I intended to do. So, yeah, so I've got two amazing teams um, and also a huge help um, that I'm living in my hometown at the moment because my family's here and my partner's family's here as well. So we've got like all this extra support. Like most people at the restaurant know my mum because she looks after all the plants, stuff that I don't have to do, which is so lucky. (laughs) So yeah, so that's really great. Yeah, that's really good. So I guess the main reason why we're really here is to talk about your health journey because I know a little bit about it, but you've kind of only dove more into it to me. But let's start by what your health was like as a kid and then like work up to 
you know, when you were diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease and all of that. Yeah, sure. So when I was a kid, actually when I was a toddler, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. So um, I had a lot of seizures quite regularly at the start. Um, My last seizure was probably when I was about 10 years old, I think. So I was on medication the whole time. I would still occasionally have seizures and then it just stopped. Like I just didn't have any issues anymore. Did something happen to make it stop or it just stopped? No, it just stopped. So I think that um, it can be something like as your brain develops and things like that. Um, there was always questions around like my birth. So there was uh, it was quite a difficult birth. It ended up being an emergency cesarean for my mum, but she did like 27 hours of labour before they did the cesarean and there was a lot of like forceps. They were trying to use forceps and, I, you know, I was born in 1986, so things, I don't think things like that happen as often now, but yeah. there was questions around that and if that had affected anything. Um, but, yeah, I did just, um, yeah, I just stopped having the seizures and I was able to go off the medication. Um, I also had asthma when I was a kid, so I would have to, like, go and sit in my room on my nebulizer before I <laughs> went out to play. <laughs> I'm sure I feel you. Yeah, in the 90s can relate. Um, so, and that really cleared up when we moved to, to central Queensland. It was just like the air was clearer, less pollution, Um, so I didn't really have any issues with that anymore. Um, then I would get like through high school and uni really intense headaches and migraines. So that there was a lot of questions around that and the fact that I'd had epilepsy and if there was something that had happened. So during uni, I used to get these like insane migraines. Like I had one for two weeks once and I would, every night I would go blind in my left eye, but it was just like at nighttime it would happen. So I had to have a whole heap of CT scans because they were quite nervous, like what had happened if there was something going on. But luckily, no, they think that I just had a whole series of cluster migraines, um, I mean, I went from stressing about getting an OP to get into uni to then being in uni and just stressing constantly about that. And I worked two jobs while I was at uni full time and I just didn't really slow down. So I think a lot of it was probably my body saying, have a rest. Yeah, chill out. (laughs) Were you on the pill? Um, Yes. So I actually went, I got put on the pill when I was about 14 because of my period pain. So I don't know. I think it might just be our our generation and that age. It's just they didn't have a solution. They didn't know what was going on. I'm sure it was everything that we're, we were consuming um, in terms of chemicals and plastics and things, which is, you know, part of why I think a lot of women are at um, just having like a much harder um time in falling pregnant which we'll get into soon uh the pill is actually really bad for people who get migraines because it says that a lot of the time they say that they can cause mini blood clots in the brain yes so I I went on the pill when I was 14 and I actually stopped taking it when I was 24 so it was the time that I moved to London and I would have had to go on a different one and I just thought no I'm not I'm not going to do it and I was getting actually a lot of skin pigmentation on my face from the pill. So it's like a side effect oh. that's written in, but you don't know about. So I was getting like dark 
um, skin patches like around my forehead on my upper lip, which obviously was not nice at all. Um, and that was as soon as I went off the pill, that all went. It's just like a hormonal thing. But the doctors were just like, no, you need to stay on the pill. So, yeah, keep going kind of thing. So, yeah, it's been 10 years since I was on the pill, which is, yeah, which I'm pleased about as well. And so before we start talking about Hashimoto's, I need to say a disclaimer that both you and I are not doctors. And no, we're not. <laughs> have never, we're not qualified, but we have very similar health journeys in terms of Hashimoto's. And I guess what we're about to say is mainly just from like what we've learned from doctors and our experience. So we're not yes. doctors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so then tell me about how it kind of led into the Hashimoto's. Yeah, so I was diagnosed in, at the start of 2015. So I just, I'll paint a little bit of a picture about like my 20s up till then because I was 28 when I was diagnosed. Um, I started, so went school, uni. I did my whole first year of uni at the age of 17 because at the time in Queensland you finished school um, when you were 17 and then my birthday's in September so I didn't turn 18. I'd already almost completed one year of uni. So I just kept going. Then I got an internship and I started working in advertising when I was 19. So I worked full-time and then I split my subjects up so I could complete my degree over a year but I had four subjects so I'd go to night uni and get my assignments done. So that was pretty hectic. Then I straight away um, became an account manager at News Corp. So I had more responsibility and budgets. I then moved to a different team and looked after agencies. I then decided to move into a bit more of TV and radio and then I went back to press and then I decided to move to London and that I was going to do advertising there. So I was very like fast-paced and driven and I was really trying to climb the corporate ladder. So by the time I was diagnosed, I actually was still... Um, living in London and I had started at Viacom which is um, working across MTV, Nickelodeon and Comedy Central and I started as an account manager which is where you um, represent lots of um, you represent the brands to lots of different um, agencies and brands so that they kind of spend money with you and a lot of it was partnerships and digital I really quickly, so I started as an account manager and then I became a group director. So I moved from being like in a team of peers to being the boss of my peers and then dealing with all of senior management, so all of the VPs, international, etc. So I think that's really important because I did not stop. So mm. the start of my career, sure, that was pretty hectic, but by the time I was in London, I like my memories are I would work and I would go to work early. I would work late. I would often go home and eat some dinner and then finish a pitch and then go to bed at 1am and then get up. And I also went to the gym all the time and I did all the food prep and I, like I actually don't, I think I was just doing what I thought the idea of success was. So I basically started to become very unhappy. Um, now I look back, I was like obviously not well and super tired. And I actually came back um, for a friend's wedding and I went to a doctor um, that my mum sees and she was, and I was so anxious about it. I 
I actually, mum tried to take me to the doctor twice. And this is, I'm like a grown woman at this point, everyone. (laughs) No, mum, I'm not going. This is not like a normal, it's not normal behaviour. But there was one occasion where I just wouldn't get out of the car. I just sat in the car crying because I think looking back now, I knew, I knew I wasn't okay. And I knew that what I was going to find out was going to have to make some big changes in my life that I didn't know how to do because I didn't know any better than this crazy career that I was chasing. And so it was a lot of like emotional stress at that point too. So I did eventually go and I got all the blood tests and my main kind of um, starting point and the conversation was with my doctor, you know, I am exercising all the time. I'm eating really healthy. Um, I cannot lose weight nothing happens. Um, and by no means I wasn't like overweight, but for myself, I knew that I was kind of like sitting at about six, seven kilos over what I normally would have. Um, and just the amount that I was exercising and eating and all of that, I, I just thought, why am I sitting at this weight? Um, I also was having like crazy allergic reactions. So my skin, like just products that I'd normally used, I would just be covered in an itchy rash. And I didn't know why that was happening, but that happened kind of years before. So that was like the first sign that my body was saying, you know, something's going on. Um, While I was getting those initial skin reactions, I was also having really terrible periods. So I would wake up in the night and I would be in so much pain. Like I would have to like kind of do like yoga poses to try and like hunch over and get through the pain. Um, Seven day periods, super heavy. Um, I now understand that that's another thing that if your periods aren't right, there's some, it's a sign your body, like it, something's going on and you need to have a look at what that is and figure out why. So yeah, so I'd had all these symptoms. So when I got the blood test back and I was only in Australia for two weeks, I was heading back to London. So I got the blood test back and my doctor, who's great, and I still see him now, he was like, okay, you, you've you got Hashimoto's and we need to get you on thyroid medication. You've got really severe adrenal fatigue um, and that's messing with your hormones, which is why your periods are um, the way they are. And um, you need to cut gluten and dairy and I was like yeah I was home for two weeks for a friend's wedding and I was like oh my god this is like I don't even know how to take this information back to my London life I just don't even I don't understand that so um that afternoon this is just a crazy one of those if you believe in how the universe works sometimes um so I was home but I was also deciding like should I move home? I've been over there nearly five years. What am I doing? Like, am I going to keep climbing this corporate ladder? Like my mom had said to me, like, what is the next step for you at this company? And I was like, oh, like vice president. And she was like, and you want to do that? And I was like, no, I don't. don't." (laughs) She was like, okay, well, that's great. What are you going to do instead kind of thing? So, so yeah, so I'm in Australia for two weeks. I get this diagnosis on that morning. It was a Friday. And then um, I was at my friend's house who was home for the wedding as well. And we were at her parents' place, which is like kind of where we grew up. And we're just having a wine on the lawn. And I get this phone call um, from my boss in London saying that 
that day my whole team got made redundant. Oh my God, I didn't know this. Yeah, just crazy. Including you? Including me, but I had an option with my visa to move over to the company that they were outsourcing a lot of the um, commercial stuff to, which is where I was. Um, It was so shocking. So I didn't, yeah, it was just like crazy. We just couldn't believe it. Then I was just like, it was just for me, I had been away from home for 15 years. So I didn't, hadn't, you know, once or twice every few years I'd come home to Yipoon. And there I was sitting like on my best friends from high school's lawn and getting this diagnosis in the morning and then this crazy like redundancy that afternoon, which for me was shocking because I didn't have any identity except for what my career was. I was just about to say, like, with the diagnosis from the doctor, it's so hard because it's like you're asking me to take away my literal identity. Yes. Oh, I see it as so problematic now and I'm, like, so conscious with anyone that works for me within either business that they don't, like, that I support them in taking time off when they need it and... I don't like, yeah, the churn of company. And I think, I mean, it's changing a lot now. Like I think just unfortunately for us, like the expectation of starting your career when we were in our, you know, early 20s was just so different. And I just, yeah. So my identity, yeah, my whole identity. And it was like, you know, what's Mel doing? Oh, she lives in London and works for MTV. That was like who I was. So that was that was like a big tie to like a brand and yeah what I what I thought yeah I was doing. So I I went back to London and I had to like figure out what I was going to do. Was I going to get another job? There was an offer to move over to the other company that um that was representing Viacom at the time and I just didn't like when I really thought about it, I just didn't think that that was the right option for me in terms of what I just found out health-wise as well. Um, So I kind of decided that I'd go home. um, I'd kind of stay the rest of my visa, which was basically three months and try and enjoy a bit of Europe and London and like figure out what I was going to do. So at that time as well as when I was taking, so my doctor had given me um, thyroid medication and adrenal stuff to help my adrenal fatigue and all of that. So it kind of like the redundancies were so like immediately effective that I actually got back and I had one week of work, which I ended up doing a little bit more. But I just suddenly was like in my apartment in London with like nothing to do. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, what do I even do with my life? Yeah. It was such, such a change, but it's just so. I don't know if funny is the right word, but like how things work out that I was so afraid of these things and then they just all happened on one day and then I had to just like make all these changes. So, um, yeah, so I took the time and um, I came back to Australia and got all my thyroid checked and it just wasn't improving. I think the key thing that it took probably a good 18 months to realise to me is that my body wasn't receptive to um, the thyroid medication that's synthetic. So I just was not getting any improvement. Um, and I ended up going on a compound, um, thyroid supplement and 
the difference between that, and I just think this is interesting because I didn't know it and I wish I did earlier on, but when you take a synthetic supplement, it only has one of the strands of the thyroid hormone and it relies on your body to use that single strand to produce the second strand. Um, and my body wasn't able to do that. Like it was kind of so far in the depths of not not being able to and attacking its, it, the thyroid hormone all the time. Um, so I went on this compound medication. It's actually, um, I think they derive it from hormones from potentially like cow thyroid or something like that, which is crazy. Yeah. A big conversation about that. Like, are you comfortable taking this? Are you vegan? All of these things. And I was like, look, I, I, yeah, I need to try something. And what happens yeah. with that is you don't get the perf- perfect, like perfect milligrams because it's kind of impossible for them to know, but you do get both strands. Um, so, yeah, so I started taking that and I um, I was still eating gluten and dairy every now and then, so it was up and down. I started to feel a bit better, but I definitely wasn't, yeah, 100% yet. So, yeah, so that that took me, that was like kind of a, about a year, um, I'd probably even say two years of just constant testing, checking thyroid levels, seeing where my hormones are, what's going on with my adrenals, am I still exhausted all the time? Um, and then, yeah, I went on a holiday um, with my partner to Italy and, you know, I should have all these, like, great memories, and I do, like, we had a beautiful time, but my memories are literally being sick on the streets of Italy, like, bloated, like, just insanely uncomfortable and in pain. Um, Which is not ideal when you're like frolicking the other side of the world. And not when you take a break because by now I'd had the agency for two and a half years so the hours were pretty like crazy and, you know, holiday was important and it was our first overseas holiday together and, yeah, so I got back and I was really like went to the doctor. I was like, I'm not okay. And, yeah, it turns out that I had candida, which <clears throat> is a basically like a bacteria that can overgrow and it can enter your bloodstream and cause all kinds of problems. So, um, And also my thyroid was really not in a good way at that point. So I decided to do what was recommended from my lovely doctor from the start and completely cut gluten and I significantly reduced my dairy um, and that it took six months, but I've been gluten-free for over two, maybe two and a half years now, maybe a little bit longer. Um, yeah. And it has just made the world of difference to my thyroid. So I got my thyroid checked in August and it's the best it's ever been. <gasps> That's so good. That's really good. The antibodies. So the part that is the Hashimoto's disease and, um, if you're not kind of sure what that is, it's basically the bit that makes your body attack your body. Um, That is still there. So that's kind of not going to be resolved and you'd probably have that too. But what I'm currently doing for my thyroid is is effective. So that's really good. And like this is seven years later. So when I got that news, I was in August, I was like, oh my God, wow. like I was sitting in the doctor surgery. I was like, oh my, oh my God, I don't like, this is crazy. And he was like smiling, like, this is so good because it's just been such, yeah, such a journey. Such a journey. So mm-hmm. I guess this takes me to the next part of the conversation about your whole fertility experience. So, so you've been with Reese for how many years now? Four years. And 
when did you start your fertility journey? So we started um, at the start of 2018. Yeah, yep. so it's been two and, a, two and a half years, a bit over two and a half years since we um, yeah, started the journey and it has been quite a journey, <laughs> um, which there's so much stuff that I've learnt and that I'm still learning that I just, I just didn't even know. Like I, you just think that you will find when you eventually for me was like when I when I finally found someone that I you know really wanted to be with then it's like okay you know you've got all these tick boxes and it's like okay like we're gonna start a family this is and we'll just fall pregnant and we'll have this family and it'll be easy so easy yeah and it will be easy um and yeah that's just not the case and I think just to reiterate like this this is my journey and it's to do with my health issues. Um, it's not, oh, the, I, what amazes me is how many different things can affect your fertility and that we just don't know about it. It's, it's just crazy. I guess from the start, like when we decided we'd, we'd you know, start a family, there's a, quite a few tests that you, if you talk to your doctor about it, you'll go and do kind of the first round of tests. And um blood test to check like all your levels are okay they want to know like you need vitamin d um you need progesterone and the right balance of estrogen um you also um need to have like an ultrasound to check like your uterus health um see if you're actually ovulating um and that's a follicle scan so they can see if there's like a follicle on your ovary then you would if it's there and if it's the right size there's evidence that you would then ovulate and be able to fall pregnant and you have to do like a progesterone test on like day 20 of your cycle because that will see if you had the right progesterone level to sustain a pregnancy so everything really from that first um initial let's start a family and and obviously I knew I had some health stuff, so I wanted to do those tests to check. Um, but from that moment, you're living by your cycle. Like it's just crazy. It's like, and then everything's three weeks and then your next period's here and then it's what do I need to do on this day and these windows of ovulation and this, you know, the bit before you get your period. And that that's a really, um, it's really full on to start living in that way when you when you haven't before. Um, so yeah, so I had all of those tests and it was, yeah, it was good. They were like, there's no, no issue there. At the same time though, I was having, um, very intense hormone imbalances. I still had adrenal fatigue. My thyroid was okay, but would go up and down and, and it has been for the last two and a half years. So that's why the August news that it was good was really exciting. So um, good. Yeah. So even though we were, you know, trying over that, I would say even say the first year, um, I was still constantly at the doctor. Um, you know, I was taking like a um, a vitamin, like a pre-pregnancy vitamin and lots of zinc and all like so many vitamins. And my doctor is amazing because he really, uh, he believes in like nutrition and, um, you know, natural things that you can take to help support your body. Um, so I've, I'm really lucky that I've had that support and that approach because that's totally aligned with my values. I know that some people may not agree with that, but for me, like I, I just really do believe that what we put into our body and the way we think um, can affect can affect everything. So 
yeah, so lots of kind of ups and downs in terms of tests around my thyroid and things in the first year. Um, and then, so that was 2018. Then 2019, um, <laughs> we still like, you know, by now it's 12 months of period every month and you have your ups and downs. Sometimes it's really emotional. Um, I think for the first 12 months though, it's not any, it's not a worry yet, right? Because it takes people 12 months, they say. Yeah. yeah, it can. So, you know, we're telling ourselves like, oh, that's, you know, it's fine because we haven't, you know, our, my body's adjusting. And kind of by this point, I'm not really linking my health issues with my fertility journey anymore. And I know that that probably sounds crazy, but you're like... And it's like a hormonal thing, I think, like, and I've had this with like this conversation with friends and family, like you don't think that you want kids, really, you know that you want them, but you're not really thinking about it. And then you just like suddenly really want them. And it's, I don't know, it's something that happens to some women, I think. So by this point, um, I'm like, okay, like I really, yeah, I really want a baby. Um, And Reese and I had, we'd already been engaged a year, so we weren't getting married straight away because we wanted to have a baby first. So we had already pushed the wedding back <laughs> and then yeah. and then we thought, okay, well, it's 12 months, that's fine. We'll just, you know, keep doing what we've got to do. And what that meant is, you know, me making lots of changes to what I eat and what I drink and being really, you know, really conscious of everything I'm putting in my body. And then we bought a restaurant. So... This is just city. <laughs> yeah. So this is just important to kind of I think understand where my stress levels may have been because I definitely dipped back into my old London life where I just didn't stop. So had the agency and I was doing that, and then any spare moment I had, I wasn't sitting and resting. I was like sanding and painting something, or I was like organizing things for the restaurant. So like that, it was almost like a crazy hobby that then turned into like an extra full time job. And I remember, like you were literally like, you're like I am currently painting this. I'm like, (laughs) okay, you've just turned into an apprentice all of a sudden. (laughs) Then you get on like a call with like some client and talk about some big business plan. Yes. So it was like a, de- a really crazy, um, t- two different, two completely different like business frames of mine because I was working on everyone else's business with the agency and doing all the brand. And then I was like on the ground, like renovating this space and doing all this crazy stuff. So, yeah. So, I mean, at that point it was, life got pretty hectic and, um, I was okay. So my adrenals had like recovered a bit and I did feel pretty good. Like I wasn't feeling like, oh my God, I, you know, some days with adrenal fatigue, you get up in the morning and you go for a walk and then you do some work and then you are like physically exhausted. You just can't really move. And I ignored that for so long. And it was my doctor that said to me, look, you, you need to start to listen to your body and, if you do something in the morning and you're exhausted by the afternoon, you did too much and you need to start being okay with not doing that. And, you know, and like a lot of things I think we've talked about before, Ash, actually like I can't really do high intensity exercise regularly because it overproduces cortisol and that's my main issue. So 
I, and I didn't know that. Like that's not what I saw and heard that was good for us. Like I thought I had to do like hit training all the time. And so it's just crazy to like think that that was part of, yeah, the problem as well. Yeah, I was doing hit for years and it was only when I got diagnosed with the food chemical intolerance that I saw a naturopath and she was like no 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 if you do heat exercise plus everything else your cortisol levels will just go so high through the yeah. roof that your body will basically shut down and I was yeah. like that's a bit hectic and yeah. then I looked it up and I was like wow and then I started doing yoga and walking and I lost like three kilos within like a month yes well, so a similar thing for me, I was doing like five to six F45 classes um, a week when I was in Sydney. And part of that is because I moved by myself and I didn't really know anyone. And it was like, I loved getting up in the morning and just like seeing my group at F45. And I'd come back to see my doctor here. Um, and just so that everyone understands, this is where my family lives as well. So it was kind of easy to see my doctor regularly. Yeah. Um, yeah and I just told him and he was like, no, you need no more of that. Like he'd checked my hormone levels. He's like, you need yoga and walking. And then, and then I did. I switched and I was doing yoga and I did lots of walks, like the Bondi to Bronte walk all the time and stuff. And that was really good. And I really haven't gone back to that kind of exercise. So um, I'm now doing Pilates and I do go to the gym and do group fitness, but I just do like all of the weights kind of things. So it's more low impact and yeah, my heart rate gets up, but it's not like crazy amounts. Yeah. Um, so crazy. So then how long was the whole renovation process for the restaurant? Three and a half months. Um, we renovated and got it open and, um, we were doing it on a budget as well. Like we had a bit of money to invest, but we by no means had like a full shop fitting team. So my brother was doing a lot of the renovations. Um, and yeah, we were just kind of all stepping in and helping and getting it done. Um, yeah. And then we launched and I thought that we would, yeah, that I'd just be there for some shifts and stuff, but no, it was like six months of doing the Wednesday to Sunday and they were big days, like 16, 17 hour days. Um, and what's crazy <laughs> now I'm not doing that. Um, you know, part of when I moved up here from Sydney, I'd met Reese and I, you know, he was here and my family was here. It was just like a weird coincidence. He wasn't ever from here originally. It was just like one of those things. He's actually Welsh. Um, so I was like, you know what, I can, I can run my team remotely. Casey's in Melbourne anyway. I was in Sydney. My clients were everywhere. So I was like, I, I think I'll just do it. And then maybe I'll like have more time to relax because I'll have support because I've been by myself for so long. Like, you know this as well, like every single thing, if you're working full time or have your own business and you're by yourself, no one cooks you dinner ever. <laughs> no one does yeah. anything for you. No one like helps you with the washing. So it like, yeah, it's, I mean, I did that for like seven, eight years. So I thought like, well, this might, maybe this will be really nice to me to have like a little team, be around my family. And also just to like kind of slow down my social life a little bit. Um, because I was working so much and then I was out all the time and I was exhausted from that. So it's only now that I realized, you know, doing six months um, working in the restaurant, that's like 16 hours a day of on. You are on, you're managing, you're serving everyone, you're doing it. And, I, and it was like all new. So I see that now as probably similar to what 
what I was doing before and what I was trying not to do when I moved here for my health. So <laughs> it's just ingrained in you. I think that's just what it is. You're like, I'm going to relax, but I might buy a restaurant and completely renovate it and also do my day job. But it's not the same thing. <laughs> I know. I know that people think I'm crazy and I do understand that that was crazy. But I think just so people understand, like I, in starting a family for me, um, financial security is like super important. So I was thinking, and that's probably, you know, I grew up and we didn't have much when I was a kid. So, and you know, we're fine. We have an amazing family and happy and everything, but I really wanted to make sure that our family has that. So I think that in starting a family, I was like, okay, well, what can we do to build, you know, this kind of security? So, and in doing that, it's alleviated my stress more now. <laughs> so it's kind of like a new short-term, short-term pain, just get that done, get through it. And then we'll have something, we'll have an asset and we'll have something else um, that's like an extra thing. So um, yeah, that was kind of the thinking behind it. So um pretty yeah pretty crazy 2019 and then we just got a handle on everything at the start of 2020 and then COVID hit so that was a really big stress for the business but actually for me it meant that I could take a step back from the restaurant and just focus on the agency which is like a huge passion of mine um and it's around that time that it had now been two years of trying for a baby um and completely understanding that I added a lot of stress to my life. So potentially that two years was one where my body would have coped with it. Um, and so this year has been about a lot of tests. So I've had um, fertility specialists. I've had um, a range of scans and blood tests. Um, recently I had a HSG procedure, which um, is where they – basically do an x-ray of your uterus, ovaries and fallopian tubes. And to do that, they have to run dye through those areas of your body. Um, it's really one of those really weird things because I'd never heard of it. Um, and then this year, I know of five people, that five women. Oh. That had it. It's so strange, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, I mean what I've learnt in when it comes to um, conceiving is that everyone will, if someone says that something's uncomfortable um, to do with women's testing of any kind, it's generally really painful. So, that's, oh, cool. <laughs> so, so uncomfortable is just the polite way to say, yeah, it's not going to prepare be yourself. Nice. Yeah. It's not going to be a very nice experience. So um, yeah. So I guess on that, like this is, and this is super recent, which is why we're talking about it now. I've, I've actually got the all clear in terms of like ovaries and ovulating and my uterus is okay. And there's no blockages in my fallopian tubes. So I don't have, um, polycystic ovaries. I don't have endometriosis that they can find, which are two really common, um, things that prevent you from falling pregnant. So, um, on that side of things, I'm falling into the unexplained category, which I've recently learned is a huge portion of um, couples that can't conceive. They just don't know why they can't conceive. There's just no reason. And that's why um, couples that may not have something that is um, like wrong with them in terms of like their organs 
um, have to look at IVF because they just don't know another solution. Um, the other side of that is that this year I've really um, understood now that Hashimoto's disease can really affect um, conceiving a baby. So um, that has been like kind of hard to get my head around and I've also recently learned that um, if you have Hashimoto's or any thyroid issue and you fall pregnant, you can have a lot of complications throughout the pregnancy as well. Um, and that can be in the form of miscarriages. Um, it can be just how you're feeling in general. So you have to have loads of blood tests throughout that to keep your thyroid levels um, right. So at the moment, um, my hormones are still all over the place. It goes up and down. Sometimes I have no progesterone, which crazily is the hormone that makes you calm. <laughs> so oh, cool. I know. So the, at the start of the year, I was feeling really rubbish, but I was working a lot and I thought that was it. And then I got, yeah, some hormone tests and my doctor said, you've got no progesterone and that's like the hormone you need that helps you stay calm. So we need to get you on that. And then I started taking a cream and a, um, and a tablet. And then three months later, my progesterone went through the roof. Too high to have a baby. Oh, oh yeah. cool. Yeah. Awesome. So then I stopped taking anything and then I just got results back two weeks ago and my progesterone is rock bottom again. So Oh, um, that's so frustrating. Yeah. So you only you only need progesterone um to fall for the for the first um so say you conceive and then you need progesterone straight after that. And once um, the baby forms, it actually produces progesterone itself. So it's just something that you need, yeah, for that bit. So I'm currently taking a progesterone cream. My estrogen's through the roof again, um, which is really tricky because that makes it hard if it's too high at the wrong times and the strands are too high um, in your cycle. It makes it really hard to conceive as well. So there's a bit of a balancing act at the moment. Um, over two and a half years in, I'm basically doing the same kind of up and down, figuring things out. Um, but there is some good news in that. My egg count, so I'm 34 now, which is this whole other annoying thing that we all have this silly body clock that, I know. You know, that just adds this extra pressure that we are not meant to stress about, but we are meant to be aware about of it and we should think of, yeah, think of it. So I'm kind of at the point and part of the um, appointments with the fertility specialist, like, do I need to freeze embryos now? Like if it takes another two years and then I'm 36 and I'd like more than one. I'm now understanding that I should just be happy <laughs> with, with, one. <laughs> with one. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, do I, should I have my 34-year-old um, eggs and we freeze the embryos that way because that's, you know, going to, then it, at 37 I've still got, you know, my 34-year-old eggs. So, yeah, so there's a whole thing that um, age has come into it now. I'm trying not to worry about that. I'm just going to, um, yeah, I think it's important to let everyone know I'm not pregnant and this is part of it as well. I think I hear so many stories once someone's pregnant and it's like, oh, they're that they had this like crazy journey and I'm like, oh, been, and now you're pregnant and I'm not. And I don't mean to be in a way that's <laughs> like not hopeful or like 
you know, yeah. I'm sure it will happen, but I just think, yeah, it's really important to, um, yeah, to talk about the journey when you're in it rather than when you've fallen pregnant as well. I agree. It's like, it's like the miscarriage story, like one in four women have miscarriages, yeah, right? right? But no one actually knows about it until, you know, a friend has had a miscarriage or they've had a miscarriage. So you don't really hear about it at all. So with stories right. like this, it's like, yeah, I'm still struggling to fall pregnant, but I'm still struggling to fall pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still struggling to fall pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't laugh about it. But it's like when you hear those success stories, you're like, that's amazing, but I don't feel great about that because I'm still trying to fall yeah. pregnant. It get, like, I mean, it does give me hope. Um, but, yeah. For it sure. Is, it is really, it's really tricky. Like I just never would have thought that the emotions that come with it, like at the moment I've, I'm in a good place. Like I'm seeing a naturopath, I've got an acupuncturist, I've seen a fertility specialist, my doctor's really helpful, I'm doing all of the things that everyone says I should do, I'm feeling good, I'm listening to my body, um, but like this is just a good week. I mean, yeah, <laughs> so up and down, like, you know, and I've been having like really horrible reactions to food and drink lately which I've kind of been texting you help me Ash um that I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out as well so if I physically am having a terrible reaction and I'm sick and I'm you know nauseous and vomiting and all of that it's then like emotionally I start to feel like oh my god my body's not going to handle a pregnancy it won't be able to do it like I'm so sick with this and unless I figure this out it's not going to happen and then what if it happens and then my body wasn't ready and I forced it and then you know I have a whole nother thing that I have to encounter and I I mean I think it's really like it gets really busy in my head thinking of those things and I'm really lucky I've got like some I've got a really great group of friends and colleagues as well that I can actually talk to about it. Um, And, you know, a lot of my friends are going through um, their own journey that are completely different to what I'm going through in terms of the reasons. So, yeah, so having that support um, is, yeah, super important. Yeah, for sure. Are you optimistic? Yeah, I am at the moment. And I, and, I, and I say that, because, yeah, we've got, we've got a bit of a plan. So we are going to just keep working on health overall um, and see if it has just been my thyroid level that has prevented it from happening. And that's good now, which has been the first time in seven years. And maybe it's just that, and then maybe it will just happen. So that's kind of, we're just going to let that play out for a little while. Um, and then you know, next year, if something hasn't happened kind of mid yeah. to year, we'll, we'll start IV, the IVF process. And yeah, I, I feel it's like that too. Like I'm not trying to fall pregnant now, but I spoke to my doctor about it and she was like, if your thyroid levels aren't great when you have Hashimoto's, it's not impossible to fall pregnant, but it's the hardest. Yeah. Yes. So like that's the main thing you've got to get, you know, yeah. and under that- control. That's kind of what all of these recent tests were. They were to, because I started fretting that what if it's more than that and what if my thyroid gets better and then actually there's something going wrong and I have a blockage in my fallopian tubes or I'm not ovulating at all. Like you start like after two years, two and a bit years, you're kind of like, oh, well, I better redo that because so much can happen to my body in two years. So much can happen in a month. Um, So that was really, it's been really, alleviated a lot of pressure because I now know that it is my thyroid 
and I I know that I can fix that because I have because I've done you know things that have been able to change that and and make it better so I don't feel as powerless which I was feeling earlier this year that's good and I guess the like downtime I say that with like inverted commas the downtime with the coronavirus probably has been good for you to try and like work out what makes you more stressed yes a hundred percent and really thinking about what I love doing and what I don't like doing and why I don't like it and why does it stress me out um and I'm I'm a such a perfectionist like I can't like leave anything anywhere you know that's not in its spot so that I'm really trying to change that because it's just unnecessary stress right (laughs) it's too much I already it's like yeah, it's just I, I, you know, I need to change those things, and I, and I'm aware of it, which is step one. Um, but it seems so. The main thing for me is my cortisol levels. So if I can get those um, down or supported, so I'm seeing a naturopath at the moment, and she's um, she's got me on like kind of different herb blends that support my nervous system. So that's so good. So I have that in the morning um, and she's like, you know, if that's just the way you are, okay, let's like work with that and support your body in, in what that, yeah, in going through that because that will reduce the fight or flight mode that you're always in. And I, like, I mean, for me, I will find like if I'm doing a project that I love, like I'm excited. It's almost like I can feel the adrenaline and it's just because I love doing a client project that I'm working on or I'm like so excited for like what it's going to end up to be. And I'll have to like, and I did that when I worked in sales, like in advertising as well. You get like, I love what I do. So I I just get to this like adrenaline level and I really have to now go, okay, you're going to have to go outside for a walk, have a cup of tea. <laughs> Calm down. Calm down because you're going to get, without even thinking that you're stressed, you're in that, you can feel it in your body in that mode. So, Mm. yeah, so it's just all, I mean, all of the learning and understanding that now and and trying to recognise when I'm in those stages because if it is stress and adrenaline that's causing me from having a baby and, and could cause problems when I'm pregnant as well, like I need to get a grip. <laughs> That's basically, where yeah. I'm at. <laughs> get a grip, Mel. You can do it. Yeah, so true. I feel like we should have like a check in on the podcast in like six months' time to see how you're going. Yeah, as well to yeah. see how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like you've really helped people by saying all of this, and I really appreciate you opening up. It's very kind of you to tell your story to everyone, but. I'm going to finish by asking some questions that I always ask people. So some advice for people who have unresolved symptoms. So I guess this could fall into the Hashimoto side of things or just the general gut stuff that you've been through. Yes. I think um, the biggest thing is finding out why. So listen to your body and recognize that things aren't right and you need to find a doctor or, you know, some kind of therapist or someone that is an expert in that area that can help you figure out why. Because if you don't treat the why or try and change that underlying thing, you're just going to keep treating the symptoms of of that thing that you don't understand. And that's been really big for me. I feel like every few months I learn something else that 
I'm like, oh, I didn't know that that affected that. Like, and I mean, we can't know everything. We, you know, we're, we're also doing a thousand other things. And I think just, yeah, relying on experts and reaching out. And if you're not happy with someone's opinion to go elsewhere and yeah, look for that. Yeah. Second opinion is very important. Yeah. And then three tips on how to manage flare-ups when you have a very busy schedule. Um, okay. The first one for me, schedule some rest. So I think if you're not feeling great in the morning or that day, whether it's, you know, your stomach's not great, you're feeling tired, you're feeling down or anxious or whatever it could be that are all symptoms from lots of health things, um, schedule some rest. So say to yourself, I'm, I'm going to take the afternoon off and I'll make up for it later. Or um, for me, I have now one day a week, non-negotiable, that I don't have any plans. It's usually a Sunday. Um, I just don't want anything that I have to be at. I want to just be, if I want to be at home, great. If I want to catch up with someone, I'll do it on the day. Um, that's, yeah, that's something super important. So scheduled rest, um, listening to your body, which I did just mention, just like really thinking about how you feel, I think is really important and not just going full steam ahead and thinking that, um, you know, it'll be fine. It'll sort itself out, like really take the time. And I mean, I don't meditate all the time, but I totally understand that giving yourself space to think and to feel will actually help you identify things that, yeah, that might be wrong. Um, and the third one I think is finding an empowerment in yourself in regards to your health. So I think if you don't feel like you have control of it and you don't feel like you can make change because you don't understand it, it'll just get away from you. And I let that happen for a long time and I've now kind of got in my head, you know what, I'm super goal-driven and results-driven. How about I make my health the priority <laughs> instead of... Yeah, let's switch that. <laughs> yeah, and like, I mean, I've achieved a lot, so how about I achieve a lot in my health? And I'm really just trying to kind of lay that framework in my head. Um, so, yeah, that kind of self-empowerment in health. I love that. <laughs> so if people want to find you, where can they find you? They can find me mostly on Instagram. Um, so they can follow um, my creative agency, which is at the Sunday Agency, and it's Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, like the ice cream. Um, and if you want to follow my personal account, I'm at Melanie, so M-E-L-A-N-I-E, and Jane, J-A-Y-N-N. Well, again, thank you so much. I feel like everyone will be very grateful to hear your story. Thanks so much for having me. And if anyone wants to chat about anything fertility, just DM me on Instagram. I'm so happy to support or chat whenever. Thanks for listening to this episode of Allergy Proof. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to this podcast, please send this episode their way. I'm here to help women thrive in life with all of their health issues because I am living proof. Make sure you hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can listen to our latest apps which go live weekly. This is a totally independent podcast, so I really do rely on subscribes, reviews, and word of mouth to spread the word. You can also find some more helpful tips on Instagram at yoursonlyco and more from me, your host, at Ashley Templar, spelled A-S-H-L-I. Catch you next time.